Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. All right. Thanks again to our partners at Mignolaverse.com. This week, they had an article about our reaction to the latest BPRD news. It's a little spoilery, but if you're all caught up, you can go check out that article, and they have a little quote by me in there. They have a little blurb from, from me talking about that as well. So let's talk a little bit about the stuff that was revealed at New York City Comic Con regarding the new Hellboy movie. There was an awesome timeline print, Hellboy banner, and on the banner there was a lot of monsters on there. Did you like yeah. look at any of those a little bit? Man, that banner was so was sweet. Cool. <laughs> we see some characters that look like Garagosh and Baba Yaga on there, yeah. so that's really mm-hmm. exciting to see movie versions of those characters. We saw some other characters on there, and the movie is supposed to reference Hellboy the Wild Hunt, which we haven't read yet, but rest assured, by the time the movie comes out, we'll have read through all that stuff. So that way, you can be those people just like all your favorite moviegoers who go, actually, in (laughs) the comics, um, you can be one of those. Yeah, that's my favorite. I absolutely (laughs) love it when people do that. Kathy loves it when I do that. No, I'm just kidding. It's, It's an acceptable behavior. It's not. Kathy will say to me, and you think I want to know this because... Yeah, <laughs> Just, come on. I shared some of, the, some of the promotional items that they had on our Facebook and Instagram, Twitter posts, and we had some feedback on that. Tom Hardman said, <laughs> keeping cautiously optimistic about this, Neil Marshall's got a healthy back catalog. Dog Soldiers and The Descent are both great small-scale horror films. So The Descent, I think that's one of the scariest movies. I'm claustrophobic, so that movie just oh, yeah. really, yeah, I, I didn't I like haven't that. seen it, so. Oh, you haven't? No. We should I, definitely. I haven't seen it either. Oh, man. That movie, I think that movie is oh, very, you're... very scary. That movie scared the shit out of me. We should totally watch we should it. To- well, if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth seeing just because it's a great, it's just a great horror movie. The, the way that it's directed, hmm. really, it's a different kind of horror movie. Okay. I remember when it came out, you told me about it, and I was like, man, I'll put that on the list. And I started watching it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's still on the list. <laughs> He's done Game of Thrones. I mean, whether or not you watch Game of Thrones or, or whatever, it's it's stuff. I mean, it's definitely a well put together production. Yeah. And then, you know, so. I mean, and, and it's like they do have a bigger budget for TV, but they don't have like movie level budget. All well, they're the time. actually, they're all, aren't they? Actually, no, aren't they? <laughs> aren't they kind of doing little mini movies now? Like they're sort well, of structuring it like movies? Well, yeah. for the final season, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's right. I heard something about that. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, like doing like season one, two, it and three. It always struck me as movie quality. Oh, yeah. Whatever location and props and costumes. and. Yeah. I mean, it just shows that the you, production you can, value is... you can uh, make something look cinematic. Right. Sure. Without, no, yeah, without the hundred billion dollar budget. Right, yeah, which yeah. is a little much. Tecpatol de Sequoia told us also still doesn't answer my burning question. Will he have the skinny legs and the cloven feet? <laughs> yeah, so I think on the Ron Perlman version of the movies they only show the feet one time. Right. When they first introduce him and he's lifting weights. Sure. I think they show his feet, but then for the rest of the movie he's wearing boots. Well that would be yeah, yeah, I mean I think and that's I think that was more of a practical decision, right? Like poor Ron Perlman having to try and walk around in those Probably. prosthetics <laughs> is kinda dangerous. Probably, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I of course we've talked about his feet many times, so I'm always excited to yeah. see the little spats <laughs> and, um, and all that. Church of Sagan on Instagram, I was super jealous about this comment. He says, I got into the New York City Comic Con panel for the movie and I went up to ask one of the questions. 
he asked David Harbour to yell boom for us. Oh, that's and not a question, oh, but... David Harbour got up and swung his right hand and yelled it. Uh, awesome. Yeah, oh, nice. I, hopefully that'll pop up online. Adorable. He strikes me as a very adorable man. Yeah. For the record, I was going to try and avoid talking about this, but there there have been a couple of really salty comments lately in this very otherwise very sweet Facebook page that we always oh, talk about. On Mike Mignola's I'm always telling people, Facebook oh, page. it's not toxic. Everyone's really nice to each other, and it's just very chill and good discussions. There are some people being like, what a slap in the face. I can't believe that we didn't get to see the show. Like, what entitled brat babies? Just relax. You're going to see it. It's a movie. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that you like the material, but can you please just come on? Everybody this- was expecting that the trailer was going to come out. I get it, but it just what so, happened yeah. to the neighborly experience that we all have come to expect? Just everybody, please relax. It's, yeah. <laughs> you're going to see it. It's not like... It, you're going to see it, and you're going to see the movie, and... Just chill. Just chill the fuck out. I will admit I was a little disappointed, but I mean, it's not like the end of the world. I mean, it's like you said, sure. I'm going to see the trailer. Yeah, right. It just makes me go, argh. Yeah. It was a it's, lo- it's the same thing last year at Comic-Con when they showed the Avengers Infinity War trailer. And I was like, but I want to see the Avengers Infinity War trailer <laughs> right, too. Right. Which I understand, but then like, someone else had said something about, oh, this is just, this is really making my whole this is souring me on my whole experience of the movie and it's it's creating a lot of negativity dude the only thing creating negativity is you that's <laughs> that's seriously come on you can still anticipate it you can still be be excited about it i don't understand why that has to change just please come on that's and that's all i have to say about that the that's, reception was really good on, that, on yeah. the trailer too yeah. people said it was awesome it was exciting but i think uh i and, think even christine mignola commented on it and she said that it was a sizzle reel yeah it wasn't meant to be like a, trailer. a full trailer type deal or whatever. When you get wrapped up in this whole, I don't know. It's just, it's not what I've come to expect from that community. It's very online, which I did not, I was really surprised about how super online some of these comments were. And it was just, I don't know. It was weird. It was weird to me. I saw somebody uh, got up and asked a question if there was going to be anybody else in the BPRD in, like Liz or Abe. Yeah. And they were like, He's like, oh, Lionsgate won't let me say anything. Right. So I can't say anything. But then apparently he made a lobster claw movement mm-hmm. with his hand. Oh, so, yeah. interesting. so just, just keep in mind that you. I mean, that might be a red herring, though. Yeah. Hey, you never know. Just keep in mind that you love the source material and you appreciate the people who create it for you. And they don't owe you jack shit. They are creating this and you're going to consume it eventually. So it's yeah, not everyone's like. Everyone's going to watch it. Yeah. Anyway. It's, you know what I mean? Just. I would encourage people to take an approach of appreciation rather than entitlement, I guess. Now we're going to talk about some listener feedback. Every Monday I make a post about what we're going to be talking about. And Jerry said that we need to start releasing the podcast on Mondays. So I just wanted to... (laughs) (laughs) I was really... uh, That's very flattering. But typically we record on Sundays... Although that's not a guarantee, and so if you make a comment after Sunday, it probably won't be on the feedback for that week until the next episode. And then I need a day to try and make the podcast as good as possible for you guys. Otherwise, there would be an additional 20 minutes of stuttering, stammering, <laughs> awkward silences, and side conversations that are in no way relevant. Like, I think there's like a, I think there's like a pickle outtake that I'm holding on to somewhere, a pickle conversation. Are we talk about pickles. <laughs> oh, man. That's got to go on the bonus reel. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's going to be the gag reel. Black Zero Cosplay on Instagram reached out to me. He does some really great Hellboy comic accurate cosplay. 
and he was saying he got turned on to us by all the little all the trivia posts that I make every week. Oh, fun! And okay, um, cool. so he said that he's going to start um, going back and listening to all the episodes. And so, yeah, every week I make a post throughout the week about what we talked about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So check us out there to get all that additional content. That does kind of remind me of there was a Mr. Show skit where David Cross is running a radio show and he's like, please remember that this week's topic is from last week and next Uh. week's topic, I'm going to say it this week and it's just, it's kind of similar. So yeah, if you, if you say, if you leave a comment on the day that we release it or the day after we release it or something, we're not going to talk about your comment until the next week and it's just a very, yeah, I can see how that would be confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Man, that was a great episode. That was a good episode. (laughs) We had some feedback on our conversation on the ghoul. Drew Campbell said, not to perpetuate the cannibalism conversation, but the discussion of the ethics of eating people who are already dead made me think of iZombie, which is a comic written by Chris Roberson, who now Mm. writes a lot of for the Mignolaverse, and Mm. Mike Alred, one of my all-time favorite artists. I love Mike Alred. Yeah, Mike Alred's great. And uh, I have a lot of the Madman stuff, but I do have all the iZombie stuff, too. I do, too. Yeah, and it's really great, but the TV show is pretty different, and y'all had a little co- kind of conversation about that as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I kind of feel like that they're, like, the TV show and the movie are just, like, um, they could exist in the same universe, or they're just, like, companion pieces to each other, but, you know, just the main characters' names are different and all that, but right. the TV show is just, it's just amazing. It's just so fun to really? watch. Really? I've never seen it. I've oh, never seen it. I've it's never on seen Netflix. it either, but the fact that you're able to appreciate them as two separate entities is refreshing. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who complain about it. So, Oh, man. And it's got good ratings. And apparently, I think next season coming out, is I think they announced it's going to be the final season. Or I could be wrong. Oh, wow. So, so if I'm wrong, don't shoot me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. And it's um, created by the guy who did Veronica Mars. Which okay. I've heard people enjoy. Yeah, I, have I haven't also seen never that seen either. That. But... I haven't either. But Kathy loves that one. Uh, okay. But I would definitely recommend the comic and the show yeah. they're both wonderful cool. the comic is really good and i think that's one of the reasons why i didn't watch the show is because i was like oh there's not going to be the werewolf and the ghost and mm. all this other oh man but, but it's <laughs> but it, i guess it's got its own spin on it yeah that's i guess also being good. able to appreciate it is just something that's yeah. um its own thing is you know so one of the other things that drew campbell talked about he linked a story to this guy, he this is this is really grisly conversation, by the way, that I'm about to get into. Okay. This guy, he lost his foot in an accident, I think a motorcycle accident, and he asked them if he could keep the foot. Oh, okay. So then he kept the foot and he decided that he wanted to try and cook it. Cook the foot. And so he reached out to some of his friends and he said, Hey, would any of y'all be interested? in joining me for this dinner and eating his 10 of his friends came over and they had tacos and he and there's pictures of it and it looks just like regular taco meat you know and it's all seasoned and everything and yeah they ate I guess, like... I wonder what the... Like, because it's his own foot. Yeah, I was going to say, So it's his body. He can kind of do what he wants with it. Because there's a federal law against, like, trafficking human remains and and selling them and and, and all that sort of consuming them. But if it's your... Yeah. Is, is that your property? If it's your yeah. foot and you can Apparently cook and eat it, it and perfectly, invite people to eat uh, it? Yeah, I guess so, because it was legal for him to I'm not even going to bother asking why, because that's not something that I'm sure <laughs> whatever, but okay, I guess. I don't... <laughs> I don't. Uh, okay, so... I don't know what to think about that. I, I don't either, but I, I keep thinking about 
Well, what kind of meat is in your foot? I mean, is it really that? I mean, wouldn't it be stringy and chewy and tough? Like the tendons. I mean, yeah, stuff. he did say it was tough, I think. I mm. mean, if it would have been his leg, it would be softer. <laughs> I, so, I don't know. but I guess I can't really wrap my... That, to I, I, me, would I'm be... I'm stuck on the, on the texture of the foot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like... well, and cul- well, culturally, there's a tab... In the culture that we inhabit, there's a taboo against eating human flesh and so i i suppose i'm subject to that as much as as y'all and i i i I can't really wrap my mind around the the why of it right i I guess i would be kind of freaked out by first of all like staring at this is my foot yeah this is my and it's separated from my body and so he talks about that too he talks about how it just it was weird like it didn't seem like it was a body part it just seemed like a thing i think i would be too grossed out but i don't know i guess i'm not i can't yeah i'm sure it was really weird huh anyway but if you want to you can like i think uh drew campbell linked that article on our page i was reading it it was really interesting sure. <laughs> i know i'm pretty sure i would definitely not no. get past the idea of like foot odor or um <laughs> right athlete's foot or something i mean even though Polly wouldn't be there <laughs> In I guess my you mind, clean it. you clean the foot. Yeah, right. he talks but in about... my mind, it would still be there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess I don't. I. I, I... It is. It, it is a very grisly topic, like you said. I can't really get past that aspect of it. But I. And wh- where's this guy? Where does that guy live? Um, we... I don't remember. I'll have to look up. Hold on. I, I guess it would it just never really quick. cross my mind to do something like that. I wonder why that's the first thing he thought of is. I lost my foot, therefore I'm going to cook and eat it and invite my friends to do the same thing. Like eating part of your friend. What is that? That's, I guess, and I, I, I'm not trying to pass judgment. I, you know, like I said, there are cultures on this planet where that's something that is part of their thing where they hunt and cook and eat people. Or Okay, so the article was on vice.com. I don't want to judge anyone. Oh my God, I think I saw that article. For that. <laughs> Such a weird line. That's yeah. just a very... How does that conversation start? It's kind of a tightrope walk, honestly. Like, I call you up, hey, Danielle, so you know how I lost my foot last week? Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 da, da, da. So, by the, the way, the United I'm having States, tacos. Okay. The, the United States doesn't like, no have thanks. a federal law banning cannibalism. Oh, it doesn't have a federal law banning cannibalism. It's just the Idaho, trafficking of human Idaho beings, Idaho is the only state in which the simple act of eating human flesh can land you in prison. Laws against murder, buying, and selling human meat and corpse desecration make cannibalism difficult. Right. But, the te- but technically legal in the other 49 states. So the thing where you lose your foot by accident in a motorcycle accident, and you're like, I'm going to eat my foot. There, Go ahead. Okay, sure. so they mm-hmm. ask him, why did you do this? Originally, okay. I wanted to have it taxidermied or freeze-dried. I thought it would be cool to turn it into a lamp or a doorstop. Uh-huh. See, that's um, what I would have thought sure. of. Sure. Yeah, you never know, I guess. <laughs> he hired a chef to, to prepare it. And so the chef was sure like, was sure, cooked. I'll do that. Okay. How does that conversation He marinated it overnight and sautéed it with onion, salt, pepper, and lime juice. Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, All right. It tasted good, but the experience wasn't the best. No. That's a no from me. I mean, does he still talk to those friends, or do they... (laughs) That's such an awkward... Like, oh, this is my friend uh, Dave. I ate his foot. I don't know if eating human... Flesh is something I want under my belt. All right. Is all I'm going to say about that. Okay, some feedback on House of Sobek. Tom Hardman said, great Egyptology rundown. Really fascinating subject that I know nothing about. 
so I appreciated that. Could we see the Sobek Horus mix up as a wee jab at horror writers who misappropriate folklore and mythology to fit their own version of the story? Hey, yeah. Mignola's approach seems to be more that if history doesn't fit, he'll invent his own. Well, and it's also kind of a he'll do an an interesting interpretation and kind of use Hellboy as the um, vehicle with which we experience the story, which I think is cool and interesting. Yeah. He also yeah. says that he was terrified by nursery rhymes. Right. Um, we talked about the sleeping in the dead. Yeah. He said that they had a picture book where they had the cock robin, the gruesome image of the cock robin being skewered by an arrow horrified Aww. him for many years as a child. Yeah. Mm. I do remember Sorry. seeing a picture book with the birds baked in a pie and then it was so the birds sad. in yeah. the pie. And right. As someone who is... As a four-year-old, I'm yeah. like, huh? Well, as someone as who a, lives with two sweet little birdies, I, I any kind of imagery involving the gruesome murder of birds is something that makes me very sad so i even won't say killing two birds with one stone i'll replace it with feed two birds with one scone although scones are probably not healthy that's (laughs) actually kind of (laughs) sweet some feedback regarding the sleeping in the dead jerry turnbull said interesting that danielle picks up on the statuary that's the statue of our old friend hecate designed by mike uh-huh. and there's a there was a sketch that mike designed uh, showing the design of that statue super cool and he also said the elder vampire in the story is totally based upon christopher lee from the hammer dracula film so awesome yeah and he also mentioned some other connections with vampires that we'll get to in some future storylines Tom Hardman said, I appreciated the story a little more after seeing how it ties into the Mignolaverse vampire mythos. I couldn't get behind the vampire of Prague because the antagonist seemed way too B-movie <laughs> and at odds to the lore that's been established around vampires in this universe. I could see that. Possibly the best vampire lore since the original Dracula novel. And we haven't gotten too much on the vampire lore. We'll hit that down the line, but there is some really good Mignola sure, vampire yeah. universe building stuff. Cool. I actually have something oh, about uh, last okay. week's episode. Uh, so in last week's episode, I don't remember oh. exactly what we're talking about, but we say uh, Star Wars, the inner light, and I got to kill myself for not catching this because it's Star Trek, the inner light from the next generation. I know, and I uh, heard myself say that after I had already edited. I said Star Wars instead of Star Trek, and it was so cringy, and like I didn't even realize it while I was editing or else I would have cut that entire thing out. It was so embarrassing that I said Star Wars instead of Star Trek when I clearly know the difference between both of them. I think it's funny and I'll do stuff like that on purpose just to make people mad. So Well, nobody commented on it either, but Aubrey texted me the yeah. day that I released it. He's like, oh Wait. shit. And I was... <laughs> Well, you know, the sad thing is, is like, I'm actually going back and rewatching Star Trek right now. So the fact that I didn't catch. Uh, what is that episode? Uh, it's this episode where um, Picard um, wakes up in a different body and he has like this whole family kind of thing. And huh. then um, he goes through his entire life all the way up to old age and dies. And then, bam, he's back on the Enterprise. That is a very poor description of the episode. Oh, wow. But it is one of the better ones. I yeah. mean, it is real. It's, it's A lot of shows yeah. will have an episode like that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other yeah. examples. We brought it up because Kevin Alford, he said it was similar to Dr. Carp. Dr. Carp's experiment yeah, where Hellboy right. goes in that room and a whole thing happens. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Die mad about yeah, it, so, nerds. <laughs> sorry about that. That was so embarrassing. Oh, well. Whatever. So now we're going to get on with our discussion for the week, starting with The Bride of Hell. 
The Bride of Hell was published as a single-issue story in December of 2009. Story by Mignola, pencils by Richard Corbin, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. We open at the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut in 1985. Well, even before that, I'm, I've am i got the uh, omnibus oh, version yeah. over here, and I like this little, you know, Mignola drew a little... Is this, this is the cover. That's the cover. Yeah. And then inside the title page has a nice little... I love the little tiny icons that he'll draw of you know something from the story and this little skull with the well we'll get to it yeah we'll get to it with a little etching in there so yeah on the television a news anchor reports on the disappearance of teresa cipriano who was reported missing six days ago the police have not revealed much information on the case and teresa's father joseph who is an executive at zinco davis I don't know if you remember yeah, Zinko, Zinko, right? Oh, I remember Zinko. <laughs> and just, that was an excellent synopsis. I just want to point out one detail about this, uh-huh. like this news report. Uh, she was reported missing by friends when she failed to meet them at a nightclub. I can assure you that if I failed to meet my friends at a nightclub, <laughs> I would not be reported missing by the police. They would just assume that I flaked and then be like, hey... The next day, they'd be like, yeah, we missed you at the club. And like, it, I don't know if that's right. enough to go on for a missing persons <laughs> report, but okay, we'll we'll go with it. Well, it's not going to us like, because it was in Paris, and they were like, hey, you know. Oh, maybe they were tourists yeah, traveling. Yeah, right. Okay, well then, yeah. yeah, that would make sense, for sure. That would definitely be a thing. The dad is critical of the police investigation also. He's saying that they aren't taking it seriously, and so now a special branch of the U.S. government is now involved. And that reminded me that the bprd is a branch of the u.s government which i always forget about yeah i guess i just kind of think that they're their own thing i never really think of them as uh, but they are i mean it's it, it's never not mentioned but i don't know why that always <laughs> seems to escape my attention yeah anyway. how was a government agent i guess i guess that's weird yeah it's weird to, i don't know <laughs> no you're right i mean it, it's something that always slips my mind yeah. as well a bprd agent sips from his cup and we zoom in on a map to a pin in northwest france and i thought this was, was kind of a neat transition yeah it was kind of showing oh, yeah. how um, bprd is involved and hellboy has been you know the little pin is like where hellboy has been sent yeah, that was interesting visually it's interesting i wonder we, what the other pins on the map are yeah oh yeah <laughs> i guess they're like maybe we're abe or other, uh, other agents other are, agents yeah. yeah little well i guess those are ongoing investigations yeah maybe? i don't know maybe Maybe Broom is at one of those. Mm. We cut to a scene. It's like a kind of a sacrificial scene. There's hooded people holding candles around an altar, and a woman is in a robe on the table or whatever on the sacrificial altar. And this is Teresa Cipriano, the missing woman. And I heard out of the earth a roaring voice saying, Honor me and serve me, and I shall grant you powers. For I am like a lion among sheep, and my followers shall be as lions. And the hooded people chant all this weird stuff, and it's kind of like that um, Ogdra Jihad speech sure. or whatever that we've seen a couple times. The wind blows out the candles of the worshippers, and we also see the main hooded guy has a big medallion around his neck of a gold lion with a serpent tongue and wings. Which um, kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, you see British coats of arms and oh, yeah. stuff like that with yeah, it does that imagery like that. on there. I like how uh, the one guy's trying to hold his hand up by the flame to keep it from blowing out. And then right. When they're all blown out, that one guy's looking at his candle like, damn, it's you kind candle. Of a, <laughs> kind of annoyed. Yeah, that's an interesting little detail. The hooded guy, he says, and prepare for me in my season, a living bride. And throughout this, Hellboy's kind of been sneaking up. Oh. 
and he accidentally steps in a bear trap and he screams out and there's some kind of good pacing. He attracts the attention of all these hooded guys. And there's a lovely shot of his spats right here, mm-hmm. his of his feet. Oh, you know, yeah, his shoes, yeah. A sucker for <laughs> stuff like that. Foot watch. Yeah, Hubble foot watch. shoe watch. I will be honest. I was not expecting the bear trap thing to come up. I, I mean, know. that's kind of just like a neat little trick. They're like, hmm, let's put a bear trap right. out. Yeah, just in they, case. Had to, they had to think about that in advance, right? The main guy continues chanting, when my name is written in the stars, when it is written upon the... And then Hellboy puts the bear trap on his head. I thought that was pretty That was pretty awesome. He, like, snaps it on his head. Meanwhile, a giant creature flies down from the sky, and two yellow eyes are all we really see. Teresa says, please. Kid, wake up, Hellboy yells as the talons of the creature take Teresa. Hellboy shoots at the creature, and he hits it in the side. Hellboy lands with Teresa, and the creature crashes down in the distance. Hellboy, now, now yeah. Which, which gun is he using here? That's the big old gun. Yeah, well, he didn't hit it center mass, right. so I think, yeah, the, again, he has, like we talked about last sure. week, on the Sleeping in the Dead, he had the smaller gun, and he was able to right. hit right in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah, now he's but back he to uses, the But he uses a variety of guns, even yeah. though I think that he's on record as saying he doesn't really even like using guns, but he uses it in almost every story. So right. Really yeah. Well, I think also in the vampire story, he was shooting like certain kind of bullets. Certain, they were like yeah, silver bullets, bullets, so, so maybe it probably it's... could it fit the big gun or but something. Yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of a mission he's on. Yeah. Anyway, it's mission-specific. Mission-specific guns and bullets. The fallen monster screams and thrashes around in the trees. You're lucky you're sleeping through this, kid. This is the kind of crap that gives people nightmares, Hellboy Mm -hmm. says. The monster emerges, but just screams in the distance. Really? That's it? Hellboy says. That big bastard could get through these trees if he wanted to. Unless there's something about this place he doesn't like. And Hellboy realizes he's in the ruins of a church and graveyard, and that's why the monster isn't getting closer. The ruins are overgrown, and Hellboy says, I'll be damned, as he sees a statue of a headless knight with a sword holding his own head in his hands. This is good cinematic pacing on this page, I think. I might have to say, this this guy, uh, the statue holding his own head, reminded me of uh, Mulan, um, the one guy, ancestor who got beheaded. Huh. Um, I don't remember that. On Mulan? Well, it's at the very beginning when like they're like talking about how Mushu like, uh, had his chance, and he's like, yeah. Thanks for that. And his guy's holding his <laughs> I, I don't remember much about that movie except the song. Oh, I just watched well, it the other day. I mean, there are several songs in that movie, but everyone knows what song. I I'm know talking that's about. a great song. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's actually why I watched it the other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then I know that there are some there. I know that there are some people who are kind of annoyed with the movie because it's like they racist or it really doesn't represent their cultural stories correctly or something like that. But yeah, that that one song is. It's still quite enjoyable, (laughs) despite that. When Hellboy sees the statue, Saint Hagen, a monk, says... We've heard heard that name before, haven't we? Yeah, seemingly appearing in the ruins. Yeah. I know, Hellboy says, he was a crusader killed around, what, 1300? And the monk tells us of Saint Hagen's story, and we've discussed this before, like Danielle said, in the Chapel of Moloch, which we read on episode 10. In that story, Hellboy referenced the Knights of Saint Hagen, secret police for the church... In a footnote um, that also references the Fall of Acre, which I discussed on that episode. When Hellboy finds the symbol of St. Hagen in the Chapel of Moloch, it means that something bad was going on there, and the Knights of St. Hagen stopped it. Anyway, the monk tells Hagen Douglas' story. He was decapitated at the Fall of Acre, and his head sent back to the Defenders so that they would lose hope. 
but he was so favored by God that at the last battle, Hagen rose up headless to fight beside them. While they lost, 47 knights who witnessed the miracle escaped. Hellboy says that he's heard that story and that the Pope had them running all over Europe looking for witches. A kill em all, ask questions later approach. Mm. I like how Hellboy is kind of like, yeah. yeah, I've heard that, but I've also heard this shit too. Yeah. yeah. It, which is not yeah. so great. That was a, I, I appreciated that little yeah. comments from him. And the monk confirms this, but he also says, for a while the knights remained in the Holy Land doing the Lord's true work, hunting servants of the evil one. So I think that monk is also kind of saying, yeah, that witch stuff wasn't the true work, you know. Right. It yeah. was kind of a distraction. In 1307, Pope Clement recalled the Knights of St. Hagen and sent them to France to oversee the arrest and trial of the Knights Templar. And after that, most did continue as inquisitors, but not all. By inquisitors, they mean murdering right. witches for no yeah. reason. Uh, <laughs> and burning burn, them. Well, they burn, you know, regular people, too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're burning all these people, and it's just like, mm. why are you burning all right. these people? Please stop. <laughs> There's a little bit of historical fiction to this. On October 13th, 1307, a date sometimes linked with the origin of Friday the 13th, King Philip IV ordered for scores of French Templars to be simultaneously arrested. The arrest warrant started with the phrase, God is not pleased, we have enemies of the faith in the kingdom. Claims were made that during the Templars' admission ceremonies, rec recruits were forced to spit on the cross, deny Christ, engage in indecent kissing... They were also accused of worshipping idols, and the order was said to have encouraged homosexual practices. Which is good and fine. The Templars were charged with numerous other offenses, such as financial corruption, fraud, and secrecy. Many of the accused confessed to these charges under torture, and their confessions, even though obtained under duress, caused a scandal in Paris. Mm. The Templars were accused of idolatry, and they were suspected of worshipping either a figure known as Baphomet, or a mummified severed head that they recovered amongst other artifacts at their original headquarters on the Temple Mount that many scholars theorize might have been that of John the Baptist. Right. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, and, ba and then you, when you get into Baphomet, you get into all of the um, the OTO. Oh, and... I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Right, well, you've got it then. All right. Uh, so um, about the Knights Templars, uh, I used to be a part of this organization called uh, Demole, which was founded by the Masons as a young oh, okay. young men's group, yeah. like Boy Scouts. But, huh. Oh, you were in that. Uh, but um, But with more, you know play acting and sure <laughs> and the organization was named after the last uh, head of the knights templar jacques de molay and during the initiation um there is this reenactment of the trial of jacques de molay are you allowed wow. to talk about this is this the <laughs> i'll bring you the book next week oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wow that's really interesting uh, but that's so crazy. you know so it's like you have like you know three inquisitors and you have jacques and his three guys um Whatever their names were, I can't remember. The, and you kind of go through the thing, and then it's like, you are accused of this, and you and Demolay is like, no, I am always with God. And then at one part, you get pulled out. Wow. And you get you hear him get stretched on the rack, and so the guy who's playing is like, ah, ah. Oh, and he <laughs> pretends to be tortured. Wow. Yeah, and then you get brought back and dropped there, and then you go, oh, my life, I've always served God or some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, so and but uh, so that was a lot of fun, and I got to play the, the master inquisitor one time during wow. that. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy! Uh, I love it, <laughs> man. I'll, I'll, I actually saw the handbook the other day at my parents' house. I'll have to bring it over. It's wild, <laughs> from what I because you know 
that actually got me interested in reading it. And so there's been like speculation that the main reason that the Pope and the and the King of France really arrested the Templars was because the Templars ran a bank. Um, yeah. And so they wanted the money. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was sure. one of the accusations mm-hmm. was financial corruption, yeah. fraud, and secret. Uh, especially during the Dark Ages. There's a book called World Lit Only by Fire that's yeah. all about the kind of this transition from like the Dark Ages, which I, get, I know yeah. is not really an age, <laughs> uh, to the Renaissance. But um, I guess a medieval but it's it's like uh, it's a really good book. Yeah. It really talks about the corruption of the popes back during that time and like oh, yeah. wow yeah. for sure yeah. But we're not talking. This is not the Pope Book Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the monk tells Hellboy that William Fitzroy had seen enough destruction, and he was given the chapel by King Philip as a reward for his service against the Templars. And this is a reference to Rear Admiral Lord William Fitzroy who was an officer of the British Royal Navy and who served during the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars, and he was also a member of Parliament. There in the chapel, a handful of knights renounced violence and chose to live their quiet lives praying for their brothers. But a devil had followed them out of the desert and tracked them there, snatching them up one by one. And we kind of see these flashbacks of... Um, this monster coming down and grabbing somebody and so he would grab them and he would drop them onto the chapel roof eventually killing them all and the thing's still hanging around hellboy asks i do not think it will be satisfied until no trace of this place remains the monk says maybe then it too will finally die well i took a pretty good sized piece out of it tonight hellboy says And he says he could have finished it but he had to watch out for the kid on this page i noticed uh as i was reading it that there is a tattoo on her leg here in this panel. Oh, you can see it there. Yeah. You're right at the bottom of, uh, I guess, in the omnibus, it's page 148. And at first I was like, oh, I wonder why they would put that tattoo there. And then, that. of course, later in the story, yeah. I, you, know, you find out like, why that's there. I didn't even notice that little detail. That's great. Yeah, I, I also did not spot that. <laughs> the monk says that she's sleeping. No harm can come to an innocent in this holy place. And he also tells Hellboy if he's not able to kill the creature then it will be risky to take Teresa out of the ruins. The monk tells Hellboy that the creature can't come out during the daylight, and it must be nearby. And Hellboy follows a trail of blood to the cave of the creature. In the cave, Hellboy finds human remains, and a voice speaks to him. What do you think to find, half-breed? You know who I am? No goblin imp or lesser spirit. I was going to ask, Hellboy says, as the creature pushes him. Asmodeus. Okay, so... uh. The first thing I notice is he calls him a half-breed, which is, I've never heard Hellboy referred to as a half-breed. Well, yeah, when you think about it, his mother was a yeah. human witch and his father was a demon. Right. So, yeah, I I just, can... That kind of reminded me of, we had recently rewatched Constantine. Oh, yeah, I and love so that movie. A whole thing. Anyway, yeah. that has nothing to do with this, but that's just whatever. So Asmodeus, um, the, the, what strikes me about this page is he's not afraid to outright tell him his name. Because mm. in previous Hellboy stories... Uh, well, most specifically, box full of evil. Uh, I really like that story, by the way. Knowing knowing the name of that particular demon was a key part in like commanding him. Even though, I mean, that didn't really matter later. Once the crown came into play, he right, took the crown. But right. that was kind of something very specific about that story. About oh, I know your secret name. Now I'm going to use that to kind of exert some sort of power over right. you. And he's just like, here's my fucking name. And so that's that immediately is a is. A, it's a kind of a power play. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, anyway, I didn't yeah. think about that. That's great. It's, it's kind of a power move, right? And it, it lets us know, oh, maybe we're in hot water here. This guy's actually a player. 
he might be in a position of real power. And so, you know, when you when you do any kind of research about Asmodeus, there are so many different sources. Um, just a couple. Yeah. Of, just by example here, I'm going to go ahead and kind of quickly go down the line because there's so much information you can find about this. Um, there's a book called The uh, Hammer of Witches, which has another name, Mal- Malleus Maleficarum. He's he's considered a demon of lust, kind of, in mm. there. And so that's, anyway, he's got a bunch of legions under his command, 72. He's like a king of hell, uh, that sort of thing. And then there's another book, like the Di- Infernal Dictionary. It's like a demonology book. And he's in that of, of being kind of a, a demon of lust or revenge. Right. And then there's also another, like, there's a... Obviously, we've talked about this book before. It's it's super famous. The the uh, Lesser Key of Solomon. He's a you know king of hell, and he's got um, he's one of the like the seventy two demons or whatever. He's anyway, and there's also uh, the Talmud, obviously, where he's he's a big figure in that. He's sort of just a regular guy. Yeah. There in that one, like he's kind of just lighthearted and whatever kind of a dude, which is really interesting. But in all of these stories, he's. He he's a demon and he's he's very prominent. So there's also uh, later in this story a reference to the secret name of God, which I'll I guess yeah. get into once we get there. But yeah, there's you, there's a lot to find out about. There's a lot of there's a lot of lore connected to this character, and there's a lot of different um, mythologies associated with it. So you can go ahead and find that all that stuff out for yourself. Yeah. But this is. You know, very, very much not surprising to find that Asmodeus is part of the the Hellboy lore. I was, yeah. you know, it's I, cool to see him in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very apropos to yeah. find him in here. And they kind of have their own version of it that's different from a, a little different. Well, I from like this story the, yeah. a lot. I really think that it's it's a really good take. It's a good lens yeah. to in, to view this story. And there's there's a lot of little details in here that are um, that are really interesting. We talked earlier about. Mignola having his own interpretation and and that kind of thing, which I, you know, I I very much like this, the way that they go with this one. And yeah, Asmodeus has a little green, he has like green little word bubbles too. Yeah, I I always love that when they do something a little bit different. Aubrey and I talked about this when there's something a little bit different stylistically about the speech speech balloons or word bubbles or whatever. It almost kind of makes you kind of hear the uh, name in a um, otherworldly Right. Absolutely. We've yeah. we've talked about that many times. Back at the temple ruins, the monk asked Sleeping Teresa if she ever heard the story of how King Solomon built his temple. He said that God had forbidden any tools to be used to build the temple, but Solomon had heard of the Shamir, a worm that had the power to split and shape stone. So Solomon conjured up demons to ask them where to find it, and the demons referred Solomon to Asmodeus. So Solomon sent his warrior Beniah to Asmodeus, where he tricked him and, and tricked him by getting drunk and clasping chains on him that were carved with the secret name of God. And this kind of reminded me a little bit of the third wish, where those bones that were carved by that werewolf that hated hated Hellboy kind of pulled him. And we also, like Danielle said, have learned that knowing a secret name can give you power, like on a box full of evil. Um, One thing is, you said... God forbid him to use tools, but it's more like he forbade him to use iron tools. Right. right. No, yes, yes. And yes. we've seen that certain yeah. kinds c- kinds of metal has mm-hmm. affected, you know, different demons in different ways. And um, But to the, as far as the, the secret or hidden name of God, there's, you, there's a lot of different information you can find out about this too in a lot of different cultures on earth. Yeah. There's so many different cultures that have their own take on this and a lot of different stories, um, uh, it, you know, just getting into this very briefly, uh, there's the name of God is represented in Jewish 
culture, Jewish religion as the Tetragrammaton uh, Yahweh, which is often not pronounced like that because it's a, it's kind of, um, you're not supposed to like say it. It's supposed to be the unpronounceable name of God. It refers to the unspeakable name of God. So the secret or hidden name of God has, depending on what book you're looking at uh, or what history you're looking at, has either 4, 12, 22, 42, or most commonly 72 letters. And the 72-fold name, there's a lot of occultist legends associated right. with this. Most specifically, the Lesser Key of Solomon. We see that coming up a time and again. And this 72-fold name is used to control demons, supposedly, in, these, in different grimoires, right? And so you can control demons with them. And the 72-fold name is often referred to as the, I'm not going to say this right, <laughs> Shimhapmiporash. Shim ah. I cannot say that ah. correctly. Please correct me if, I mean, I obviously mispronounced that. But, you know, there's a lot of references to it in jewish magic the kabbalah and a lot of hermetic circles and things like that and so that's obviously there's a lot of different subsets of jewish culture this doesn't refer to all people who are part of that culture just a little kind of um, disclaimer and then one other interesting thing is that there are some people who refer to pi as having something to do with the creator of the universe or oh, right. like the digits of pi have to do with like the creator of the universe or reality itself. And so, you know, pi, as we know, is used to cal uh, in calculations involving circles or spheres. And that's often referred to when we talk about like the heavens and being yeah. perfect things and the perfect nature of a circle. And so there's a short story by Arthur C. Clarke called The Nine Billion Names of God, which I've always really loved. And if you haven't uh. read it, it's easy to find. Just go on, you, know, you can find it and read it. It's a really quick read, it's a short story. And, uh, you know, the brief synopsis is these monks in a mountain, they're, they're renting some computer to, and these two guys go up to install it. And uh, they're trying to, initially they were trying to write all the names of God, nine billion names of God, uh -huh. into a big book. But now they're just like, they can print them out and they have this, this, computer that does these calculations of all these different it's like an algorithm that does it and they're just copying and pasting them into this book and it's like it's just really interesting and so the let's just say the consequences of that are interesting and ah, so there's okay. yeah there's also um uh something else that i've talked about before just again try to be as brief as possible fractal equations which are recursive and infinitely self-similar it's a mathematical set that, you know, about it has to do with uh, expanding or unfolding symmetry, which has to do with chaos theory and uh, fractal cosmology, which is the distri distribution of matter in the universe, the structure of reality itself, that kind of thing. So this um, specific thing where they're kind of using the quote unquote hidden name of God to control this demon is found in a lot of different cultures. Yeah. And it's it's found in, you know, mathematics. It's found in um different books and stories and so that's that's something that really jumped out as me as, as being a really interesting subject matter and i thought that that was a cool thing to include here that was really really neat yeah um re referencing uh pi and yeah. the name of god at the um in the epilogue for the book contact um, contact yeah oh yeah at uh, the very end uh she's like crunching pi uh because i think the aliens told her to do it or something but she gets to this string where it's like if it's in like a block chain there's a thing of zeros that make a zero i mean yeah. a circle or something like that and it's supposed to be like evidence of something but ah. he doesn't go on to say it's an actual god or anything right. like uh, that but it has to, that, to do with like eternity and all yeah. that 
Uh-huh. So when you said that, I was like, ooh. Now, whether or not that's actually true in Pi or not, Well, no, but that's no an idea. interesting <laughs> concept. That, that actually does, yeah. yeah, remind me of contact. Really cool yeah. that you thought of that. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Good observation. Really cool. Although I'm going to have to look up that Arthur C. Clarke story. I have to, yeah. I was... have, well, yeah, you should read it. It's a short read. It's, it's a good read. I have to reread Contact now, though. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't forget to read your Hellboy comics first Uh, before you read any of that stuff. The reference that I have is in the Testament of Solomon. Solomon sent his chief man, Benaiah, to capture Asmodei, which is another Another uh, name for for Asmodeus. For this purpose, he provided him with a chain, a ring on which the Tetragrammaton was engraved, and a bundle of wool and a skin of wine. Benaiah drew the water from the well through a hole that he bored and stopping up the source with the wool filled the well with wine. And so Ashmedai got drunk from the wine. Benaiah threw the chain on him around his neck and called to him, the name of thy Lord is upon thee. And so these chains make Asmodeus powerless. He was led into Jerusalem to Solomon. And we cut to the meeting of Solomon and Asmodeus and Asmodeus tells Solomon, Asmodeus tells Solomon that all the land he needs is no more than it takes to make a single grave. That is such a cool line. Yeah, I love that. Because it could either be a threat or just like fact, like, hey, none of this stuff is really going to matter. Like, what's, you know, what are you doing? Solomon asks Asmodeus where the Shamir is, and we cut back to Hellboy and Asmodeus. And I like that transfer, Mm -hmm. because the monk is telling the story, but then in the middle of it, it cuts over to Hellboy, and it's just like a different flavor when the monster's telling Hellboy about it. They almost have like a little, (laughs) you know, Asmodeus has great characterization here. He tells Hellboy that he only obeyed Solomon because Solomon had the secret ring, but one day he was careless, and Asmodeus took the ring and hurled Solomon into the desert. Now this is interesting. After that, yeah. he ruled Jerusalem for three years, and I love this. Scene yeah, where... well, this is well, this is interesting. The magic ring is probably referring to the seal of Solomon, which is a, sig- ah, a signet ring. Nice. And according to the Talmud, this this ring is engraved with the um, the Shem. Hap- I'm just going to say the 72 fold name of God, right. the secret, the secret name of God or whatever. And that signet ring has the power to command demons. And um, ah. this, yeah. So this legend was most probably developed by medieval Arabic authors and scholars. And so uh, the ring was according to legend or whatever, made of iron. Which nice. is interesting. And so some texts describe Asmodeus obtaining the ring and ruling in place of Solomon for 40 days. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so this, Thanks for that. yeah, but like you were saying, like this last panel right here, this is such a super funny take. This horrific demon prince would be waylaid by banality of these <laughs> mundane tasks right. that he's so annoyed by these tedious tasks that he's like, please just take the throne back. Just the image of this frighteningly powerful demon king being all just irritated and face palming is super cute. And that, that groan that's yeah, right there. Cute. It's super cute. Yeah. And he's like, majesty laws, taxes. <laughs> uh, sign this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just He's just like, oh, so tedious. No. That's interesting, though, between the 40 days and the three years. I mm. mean, it makes you wonder uh, about the whole unreliable narrative uh, narrator. Well, it's, it's a legend, and yeah. so I think that it's... Oh, yeah, but no, but yeah. you're talking mm-hmm. about between the this priest and the demon, t- yeah. both telling mm-hmm. their two sides of the same story. Exactly. You yeah. Know? So it means, like, were you just fudging that number there, or were you fudging that number right. there? <laughs> right, right. Asmodeus left Jerusalem to live out in the desert, and he was there a long time before men found him again. But he liked these men. They could read the stars and spoke the language of their animals. And they built a house for Asmodeus. And he spent his days there chilling out with a bunch of wives. And they seemed to be happy, like, partying together. They're very, yeah, they're happy. And so these could read the stars and speak the language of animals. These people are 
shamans. They're shamans and they're in tune with nature and earth and the universe. And they're, um, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, he liked that he likes these people and he's engaging in intelligent conversation and you know he's really enjoy- they enjoy his company too and so it's important to note that he's saying you know they, they weren't my slaves they we all liked each other and right. that's so that's an interesting take like aubrey like you were saying the difference between oh, yeah, these two yeah. stories mm-hmm. is starting to be very apparent yeah and so i mean that could also be his version of the story whereas yeah who knows what one of them would have said yeah, right and the, so the priest is saying oh these were peaceful men they denounced violence and then you know asmodeus is saying these other guys, these colonizers, they come in and they're they're murdering and slaughtering and all this stuff and Yeah, so they're all chilling out there until the Knights of St. Hagen come in. Yeah. And we see one of the panels, it looks pretty much like one of the same ones that Mignola drew in the Chapel of Moloch. And these locations, Portugal and where was this at? Oh, in France. Yeah, these locations are about a 17-hour drive or a 291-hour walk. So mm. if you figure that they're on horses, you know, it's feasible that these knights are all, they you know, hmm. that they would be in that area. I had to look all that up. Oh, well. The knights drove Asmodeus out using their magic words, and when Asmodeus returned, all his wives had been brutally murdered. And, you know, we see, like, how anguished Asmodeus is as learning that all his pals have been, have been killed. Very sad. Yeah. It took years to find those men again, and when I did, I made them pay blood for blood, as Medeus says. And here you can see where Hellboy shot him in the side. Hellboy says, that's fair, I guess, or it would have been if you'd gone back into the desert when you were done, or hell, or wherever, instead of hanging out here for 700 years, getting idiots like those guys last night to steal more women for you. And we see the cave is full of skulls. Steal, Asmodeus asks. Last night you were the thief. In all my years, I've never taken any woman by force. They give themselves to me. And Asmodeus scratches a symbol on the skull. Didn't you see she wore my sign? Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the sign? Yeah, or I, I have like, some notes for it, too. I, well, I, like, I actually like that little panel where he carves the sign into the skull. But I yeah, mean, that's pretty slick. Yeah, was, I like that. It's good visually. Yeah. The shape is a septigram. I've also seen it called a heptagram or a hepseptagram. This seven-pointed star is an important part of the seal of the Astrum Argentum, the inner order of the Ordo Templi Orentis, the secret society made famous by Aleister Crowley. Mm-hmm. That's that OTO. Yeah. We cut back to the temple, and Teresa has Asmodeus' symbol on her leg. She wakes up and is shocked to see the monk, and she kicks the crucifix out of his hand. Asmodeus, my king, my husband, is a thousand times better than your stupid god, old man. He will bust you up. He'll squash you like a bug, she yells at the monk. Here's a sad turn of events, the monk says. This is sanctuary, and no child of God shall fear any evil in this place. But beware, for likewise no thing of evil shall enter into this place and live. And the monk disappears, and an undead knight rises from its crypt. I guess I... Nothing of evil. I mean, I guess I have yet to see why the character of Asmodeus in this story is evil, and how the knights of God God or whoever, yeah, St. Hagen, are righteous and not evil. I don't... I didn't really get that part. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, she she wanted to be Asmodeus' wife. She was upset when... She found out that that didn't happen, and so it seems like, I don't know, it just seemed kind of... Well, we've already established they yeah. went in there and killed everybody already, so yeah. they kind of see that as their duty, you know, yes, or whatever. But I, mm-hmm. I sort of am kind of seeing a different thing there. I don't really see... Yeah, so yeah. kind of Asmodeus, he tells Hellboy that yeah. 
he's going to get all of them, but they're also kind of getting all of his people too. You know, it's kind of like both sides are doing the same thing. I yeah. guess, but I didn't really see why Asmodeus is being evil. He wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, he did kill a bunch of people, but they came in and killed all yeah. of his, his friends and his wife. And that lady really wanted to be his wife. And then they they took her away and she was all mad about it. And I don't know, just seemed very flip-flopped. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting um, take on that story. Teresa screams out as the night approaches her. Hellboy seemingly having defeated Asmodeus, so we see them fighting. He runs back to the temple. Damn, he says, as he arrives to see the knight already having killed Teresa. She was a bride of hell. Commend her to the pit to serve her master forever. The knight and Teresa disappear, and we cut to the skull and bones of Asmodeus still clutching the skull with the symbol on it. Hmm. The end. What did you guys think of that one? It's interesting because it's like, you know, I mean, you're always, usually in most stories, the demons are the ones associated with the with evil and the knights are blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it is like the, the, you know, the knights and the whole crusade and all of that was some very horrific yeah. stuff. And it kind of really kind of shows you that, you know, just because you're one way doesn't mean you're evil and just because you're one way it doesn't mean you're good. Yeah. But right. then again, of course, you know, we don't know how truthful um asmodeus was being in his story he may have been making himself sound better you're right she did want to be with the demon but so did the lady in into the silent sea and we saw what happened there well yeah but then again we don't know that's going to happen you know he's kind of a different guy he's he's here on on their plane interacting with them and and that's kind of a you know he's not like a smoke monster from lost he's yeah and then also you know i mean hellboy is also on earth and he's doing around doing his thing so i mean this guy, um, Asmodeus, doesn't seem like a saint, but he also doesn't seem right. like the worst person in the right. world. Well, it was, to me, it was a story about viewing the same story through two different lenses. Yeah. Again, it kind of reminds me of that. We've talked about it before, but that X-Files episode where yeah. Scully and Mulder are telling the same story and the details are really different. And <laughs> But in this one, the details are vastly different. Aubrey, like you're talking about the Inquisition and the um, Crusades and all of that stuff, like, there some, that is terrible yeah. stuff. And so, you know, this this quote unquote demon or this right. magical entity or this this guy is hanging around doing his thing. And, you know, I don't know. It just seems like people are really giving him a super hard time. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, and uh, and not even not making any comment on the Middle East today, but like no, yeah. the whole Muslim uh, world back in the um ancient time. I mean, they were like philosophers and scholars. Absolutely. And mathematics. mathematics. Yeah. And. I mean, they their their level of knowledge was super impressive yeah. compared to these guys who thought taking a bath was, uh, you know, a sin. Oh yeah, <laughs> for, for sure, for sure. And well, yeah. I mean that that even in this story itself, you know, the uh, the whole signet ring that has to do with the seal of Solomon uh, was developed in that region in the by uh, Arabic um, scholars and stuff right. like that. So that's yeah. mm-hmm. you know that's something that and so. The story illustrates, you know, the difference between like um, indigenous peoples of this area and how he interacted with them in a positive way and then cutting over to when people invaded that area and how much destruction and and, and death and stuff like that happened. And so that's that's really an interesting uh, story. I liked it. Yeah. The story. Going back to that, you know, who's the bad guy here? Like when Hellboy is running back to the chapel I assume he's running to save the to save woman her, yeah. from that night. He realizes, because the monk even tells him, um, no innocent shall come in here or whatever. Yeah. He kind of, the monk alludes to this kind of, um, that, that it's protected. Yeah. Well, it really comes down to, I don't know if it comes down to good and evil so much as it comes down to 
whose side are you on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We and don't like the people from that side, right. so they're not protected here. And yeah. Hellboy's like, well, I got to save her now because yeah. now she's going to get killed in that chapel yeah. where we where I think that she's safe. Yeah. So it doesn't that's matter kind of the if other you, side of it. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. if you wanted to be with him who if you're you're on that side so you're gonna die right it's just very yeah. weird like we don't care what your wishes are we don't like what you're doing and we're gonna stop it it's just very strange i have to say this is also something i really enjoy about uh, Minula's story because every time you read like um fantasy or so, not every time but a lot of fantasies and sci-fis and genre fiction it's always very black and white very right? black, yeah you are either black good you are either good or you are evil and this is like no man it's all like shades of gray right? shades of gray two sides of every yeah. story mm-hmm. oh, yeah that's a great yeah. observation some trivia for The Bride of Hell. The story is inspired by a story by Jules de Grandin, who wrote 93 stories for Weird Tales magazine. Mignola was a big fan, but doesn't remember much about the story, except it involved an old chapel and the Knights Templar. Mignola says that most of it is based on history and legend, which we've discussed, but the headless crusader Hagen Douglas is his creation. Now we're going to talk about the Whittier Legacy. The Whittier Legacy was first released as part of Dark Horse Comics' promotion with USA Today to release five original eight-page stories on the USA Today website. The Whittier Legacy was the first of the five released in two parts, four pages each in October 2010. And the story was reprinted in Hellboy Volume 11, The Bride of Hell and Other Stories in October of 2011. That's actually pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the story kind of starts off with some exposition. Do you want to talk about these like little panels? Oh, first of all, Mignola art. Yeah. I, I was about to say the same thing. This is our first Mignola art story in what? Three stories. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. It's been a little while. It's good to come back to that art style. Yeah. This first page reads very much like a Lovecraftian story. It's just a very Lovecraft story. Yeah. Uh, the first shot of the skull with the sigils on it. Very subtle. Yeah. You know, and so, um, that's it has a candle a very, on it. On yeah, the, yeah, on yeah. The, on the skull as well. And so this, you know, the 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 visuals, the pacing, the the actual narrative itself, yeah. is all very, yeah, Lovecraft. We get a graveyard. We get a spooky house. We get Hellboy smoking a cigarette. I was about to say, I the love next, that spooky house. I was gonna say the very next page of the story, the second page of the story, he's climbing through the window with a cigarette in his mouth, <laughs> hanging off his yeah. He's already he's already got it, so he's just climbing through a window with a cigarette in his mouth. But let me catch his <laughs> up a little. <laughs> it's great. It's super great. It just said I... That made me think of like a scene like Slash from Guns N' Roses like playing with that cigarette well, dangling from oh, his yeah, mouth. Yeah. It's just a very sardonic... Yeah. You know, it's very Hellboy. Let me catch us up a little bit on some expositions. So basically a skull that's been associated with occult stuff and a Whittier family has been stolen from the Pinckney Library at Boston University. So this is an actual library for the Boston School of Theology. Cool. A professor Stoop at Boston University dis- disappears after seeming on edge. And the Whittier corpses, Honora and her sons Ethan and Samuel, have been stolen from their graves. And now the BPRD has been called in. Gross. And so we approach this old house on June 21st, 1985, on the summer solstice. What is the significance of that? On the summer solstice? Yeah. It's, it's you know, the longest day of the year. Yes. You know, some people will celebrate the summer and winter solstices and the um, the spring and autumnal equinoxes. And they'll do, and they'll do you know, ceremonies uh, in observation of this passage of time. It's a, you know, it marks kind of the... Uh, being in tune with nature and, and, and the world. And Isn't there also like hundreds of like ancient um, 
like relics or you know, like Stonehenge or something that sure. has yeah that have certain parts that line up perfectly Absolutely. with the silver oh, right. saltos, yeah like somewhere in the Aztec world or oh for sure yeah no it's yeah bam and then, it's all yeah. about being in tune with the yeah. you know world around you and as as your awareness grows over time or as you know cultural awareness grows over time of like not just nature of the earth uh like the seasons passing and all that sort of stuff but also the stars the universe so it has a lot to do with the cosmology of various pagan observations and i myself prefer to observe those rather than whatever kind of other holidays <clears throat> quote unquote that go on but yeah it's you know it's always a and it's all, i guess it's always a, a favorite of authors who write creepy stuff to throw in oh it was the solstice yeah, yeah. also you know you know <clears throat> some of those things as hellboy climbs in through the window professor stoop talks to the stolen skull he asks the skull aid me as you did my father his father before him and his before that and he also speaks that language similar to what we've seen before in the pit hellboy climbs in just as he's about to light the candle on the skull don't do it hellboy interrupts and we see that stoop also has around him the wittier bodies that had been stolen Gross. it's a pretty cool panel right yeah. there mm-hmm Stoop tells Hellboy that he has found out he was part of the Whittier family. Well, and he knows Hellboy right away. Yeah. That yeah. struck me as very interesting. He's like, eh? Hellboy. Yeah. And I oh, like, but, yeah, go on. Sorry. I, didn't mean I like how one of the corpses says, it's true. Yeah. Also, Anora. <laughs> yeah. But that he's part of this family, you were saying. Yeah. yeah. The Whittiers had vision that they had power to look beyond our common geometry. And that's what I want. I'm entitled, Stoop mm. says. And he lights the candle. And, uh, like geez, si- Hellboy exclaims as the room alights. Well, and, I like yeah. the sigils jumping off the skull. Right, exactly. Such a creative concept. I think that's really neat. I like how the, you know, the, the color just uh, engulfs all the, the entire panel. It's another old white guy who thinks he's entitled to something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stoop levitates up and we can see... The live versions of the Whittiers below, I like that little effect, like um, they're yeah. corpses, but now yeah. you can kind of see when what they look like. When they're within that, the light of the, like yeah. the candle, the magical candle is providing. But I still, even on this page, like the there's that concept of the sigils having jumped off the skull. Right. It's just mm-hmm. really They neat kind of visual. create yeah. this undimensioned space. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Take these blinders from my eyes of you have done for Whittiers before. Show me the vast, unplumbed abysses of night, the ultimate void black planets, and those who shamble undimensioned in the cold spaces between worlds, Whittier says. Couldn't ask for better dialogue. I know. It's great. Yeah, I love the way uh, Mignola writes these things. And here it seems like they've entered this undimensioned world like we were talking about. And part of him is in the reality, right? And part of him is in this undimensioned space. Like he's existing on both planes at the same time. It's super cool the way that... um, Mike Mignola illustrates that. Yeah, so well. I mean, it's it's hard to describe, yeah. but when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, I I get it, I get. He, what's yeah, happening. he does that so effortlessly. I like how like the the Whittiers and they look like normal people, but then Hellboy looks at them and they they and still yeah. look like corpses. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're little skeletons. And they talk to Hellboy. It's true, we did commune with those spirits, but they are alien and dangerous, and we always wore these for protection. Does he have one of these? And he holds <laughs> up that little coin. I love the way that coin is designed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The oh, sim- yeah. The, the sigil on the coin, and that it's for yeah. Skeleton you know. crew needs to. So skeleton crew recently announced they're going to do some more replicas. They're going to oh, do the King man. Bold coins. Cool. The coins nice. from King Bold, and they're going to do that little key that was in the stomach of the Colossus's oh, creator. Yeah. 
Okay. But I think they need to do this one. Yeah. They need to do this Whittier this Medallion. That's yeah. the one that I want to buy. That's I really, the one I want to throw my yeah. money at. I really dig this this uh, sigil here, and he's talking about how it's for protection. He goes, like, you know, does he have one of these? And Hellboy's like, oh, I don't think so. And then Ellington <laughs> goes, oh. That's, That's going to be, be a problem. problem. <laughs> Super. It's a it's a great little. I love the way that he throws in these little moments of, you know, these yeah. little comedy moments to kind of undercut the drama. Yeah, it exactly. really goes well. It's really nice. In the undimensioned space, Stoop and the creature communicate. And these are some amazing pencils. Yeah. We cut back to the real world and the Whittiers are holding up their coins and Hellboy tries to snap Stoop out of it. Hey, Emil, cut it out. You're making the dead people nervous. <laughs> These are great little vignettes, as always. We always have to mention that. Yeah, yeah, I think that needs to be up there with I've been drinking with skeletons. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a great one. It's good. I like the, uh, I just, the, the visual of all these, of all these skeletons holding up these coins. Yeah. Is, I like them. And as Hellboy tries to snap him out, Stoop is just totally unresponsive. And the Whittier says, too late. Stoop starts turning into this creature, and it attacks Hellboy. Um, and what else can you say? You've got a Mignola monster on yeah. here. Yeah. You've got tentacles. Hellboy screaming. It's just really good. good really good stuff. Hellboy gets tossed by the tentacles, and he falls with a boom on top of the Whittier corpses. They even look up, and he's as he's about to fall yeah. on them, they're like, oh. <laughs> Well, okay, so did he fall on his right hand right there? I don't he, know. You, that... I don't know. Oh, right. There's a boom there. Jeez. Oh, man. Can he, can he make the terminal. boom by accident? Uh, if it involves well, his right been, hand. There's been other panels where he's boomed with the regular hand. Okay. Yeah. But I usually don't count those. You're not going to count this? I I don't uh, know. It's obscured by it's smoke. It's obscured and... by smoke. So we really can't see, but then he pops up with a <laughs> coin in the right hand. Yeah, mm. he does. Interesting. So. Wow. You're right. I think I'm going to have to... Okay. We'll have to think about we'll, that. We'll, we'll, we'll call that. I guess that's 19. Well, we could actually you know, put that one on as a poll. Like, you know, I mean, uh, sure. Does this, <laughs> does this count? Tell us, what you no. yeah. Tell us what you think, guys. I mean, for that aside, though, this is a great action sequence. This is really I, cinematic. That was my note, is I love the motion as Hellboy ha- lands sure. with that coin and everything. And he's just like, oh, yeah. And he throws the coin and it just like, <laughs> it's so anticlimactic. Yeah. You know what I well, mean? Well, his transformation mm. back into human form is super cute. Yeah. It's adorable. Once the creature is hit with the coin, Whittier seems to wake in the undimensioned world. Hellboy tells him in the real world, I warned you. And in the undimensioned space, the creature summoned snaps Whittier in half. And then back to our the reality that Hellboy's in, he's kind of disintegrating to this, this corpse. And... Yeah. And we get a great shot of the coin yeah. on the bottom. <laughs> Hellboy is with the third surviving Whittier that he didn't fall on. Why can't they all be that easy? That's what I want to know. And I like how Hellboy, yeah. he always has a smoke after a mission. We've seen on so yeah. many. The first thing he does after it's over is he has a little smoke. Well, and he's got his arm around this, this yeah. like their friendly chums, <laughs> the skeleton dude. It's almost like it could be a postcard you'd send yeah. to your friends. Oh, Having sure. a good time. <laughs> I wish you were here. Yeah, that's great. It reminds me of the uh, when he's... He's drinking with the skeletons yeah, in that yeah, story. Exactly. We keep bringing that up, but that's I, I really like that's a common theme you know, running you, through. you just chilling, got his arm around my bud. <laughs> it's great. And we end on the Whittier skull, the end. Um, so for the trivia, I just wanted to read this little excerpt. It's from the back of the library edition. When my long-suffering editor asked me to do an eight-page story on the for the run on the USA Today website, I said sure and promptly forgot all about it. <laughs> it just it just didn't sound like the kind of thing that was really going to happen. 
wrong. It wasn't until a real deadline was breathing down my neck that I started to come up with something to do. Usually I have a half a dozen story ideas rattling around in my head, but at that time, everything, everything I had was too long or too strange. The whole idea was to reach an audience that wasn't already familiar with the Hellboy comic. So I wanted something pretty simple. Good guy, Hellboy meets a bad guy who does something stupid and there's a big explosion. Or something like that. Great, yeah, that works. The bookish old man who messes with the stuff that's beyond human comprehension is always good, so I went with that. At eight pages, there isn't much room for mood and atmosphere. Not if you want to work in a monster. So mostly this was an exercise in seeing how fast I could make stuff go wrong. It's not too (laughs) subtle, though. It does manage to end without an explosion. So I thought that was pretty good. That's no, Mignolo's. yeah, he, he did a great job. Sometimes it does take, and this is actually something I was contemplating the other day, sometimes it does take a specific framework in order to get you off your ass to complete a project. And so that's why I really like doing these, um, this is kind of off topic, but I do these um, uh, gallery shows where there's a very specific... Theme? There, well, well, there are there are specific guidelines. There, you know, it's there's there are guidelines that you have to. There's a time frame. There's a we want these pieces to be in this kind of um, specific medium, or that we want this to be like you were saying, like thematically, we would like it to kind of evoke these. But then, obviously, your artistic interpretation of that is where you come in. And so, given that, you're able to kind of accomplish a little more than right. it's sort of. It's sort of. It's kind of ca- counterintuitive ah. in a way, but. Sometimes, given a little bit of restriction, you can get a lot more done than if you're just like, I know me personally, when I'm like, there are so many possibilities, I could do this, I could do that, oh, what do I, I do first, yeah. I can't decide, and so that's kind of gives you, like he was saying, <laughs> oh shit, I've got this deadline, oh, I gotta do this kind of specific framework, and he comes up with this thing that he, of course, any artist is gonna be self-deprecating, but he's 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 always saying, ah, you know, it's not that great, but, you know, us sitting around talking about it, we, I love it. It's, it's great. Awesome. I think it's super yeah, great. It's one of yeah, the greatest it's, it's ones. Awesome, yeah, so. it's a great short story. It ends up being really good. And so you never know. Sometimes that can be um, a blessing in yeah. disguise yeah. or whatever. Next, we're going to talk about Buster Oakley Gets His Wish. Buster Oakley Gets His Wish was originally published as a one-issue story in April of 2011. The story is by Mignola, and the pencils, colors, and letters are done by Kevin Nolan. Oh, wow. Nolan is known for Tomorrow Stories, and he's also done covers and inking for various titles. Some of his first work was on Doctor Strange, and he also contributed character designs for Batman the Animated Series. Nice. And apparently he did the inks for uh, Batman uh, Sword of uh, Azrael or something? Oh, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I got to say, like, when I turned the page from like, Mignola's art to this cover, right. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, this is quite possibly the most superhero-ish that Hellboy has looked oh, sure. in the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, right, because um, it's kind of that classic. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I was just like, immediately like, I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece and page and all that, so, but... It's just very kind of more mainstreamy, like yeah. something yeah. you would see yeah. out of a very mainstream Superman or Batman or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. We open on Rooks County, Kansas. A little blonde boy is surrounded by some kids, and he calls out to Lucifer, Astaroth, Beelzebub, and all the lesser princes of hell to answer his call because <laughs> his powers are great. <laughs> yeah, this the juxtaposition of this like little nerd kid and yeah, know, and all the, as I love he's some sort of whatever yeah yeah i love all the little kids reactions yeah. too like some of them are like cool yeah or whatever They're like yeah we're gonna do some yeah and it's just magic it's just all these little kids trying to be like big and bad and it's very 
Although, doesn't the robe kind of remind you of um, Rasputin's robe? I was going to yes. say, yes. I, was, I have a note of that, too. Totally. Good stuff. It does. Um, the, the symbols are different, but it is similar. Right. It does have that same shape on it. Attend me now, and I will have no fear of the bottomless pit. And suddenly, a light appears from above. Do you ever, uh, do you ever go back and wonder, like, just how many of these stories start with People fucking with shit they should right. not be fucking with. <laughs> right. Have no idea what the fuck they're doing. 18 hours later, Hellboy arrives at a nearby farm. Inside, a woman knits surrounded by pictures of their cows, like family portraits. Aw, so cute. Hold on a second. Back to uh, the circle oh, of yeah. idiots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at first, when he was reading from his book, I thought it was going to be something like witchcraft for dummies or something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but of course, when we get further in, we'll get you know see right. what it really says. But I mean, that's the first thing it made me think of. Anyway, back to the cow pics. Yes. Well, this and... this farm looks exactly like whatever the farm that Superman grew up. Oh, on Kansas, it nice. looks it looks like something out of a. I didn't oh, yeah, even think does, about it that. It does have that kind of Smallville. It's Kent very farm yeah, Smallville. And let's just get this out of the way. Nolan draws an awesome cow. So His cute. cows are great. He does a really good job with the cows. They're really cute. We found this picture online of a Hellboy riding a cow that he uh, drew. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you, yeah. You there's a, that. we'll adorable. talk about that a little bit, but there's yeah. like a really blog. great his blog. Yeah, yeah, has great behind the scenes pictures from all this. And this is even kind of a almost, almost not quite Mignola y mood shot with the portraits here. Yeah. It's yeah. An, it, it's in standard, very classic panel form. It doesn't really take on that. Like Mignola really takes uh, that to kind of a more artistic y approach where he, you know, the panels are a little bit more loose and can be right. He arranges, he arranges them in really weird, interesting ways. And so this is kind of more classic, but they're, there's still that establishing mood shot, which I think is really cool. I appreciate that. Cowboy talks to a farmer and tells him that they usually don't send him out for stuff like this, but he was in the neighborhood. He's a little and, poking, poking a little bit of fun at this guy. A little yeah, bit here, yeah, and the farmer isn't pleased by it. He tells he tells him that they've lost nine cows in about a month. You mean three and a half, Hellboy says, as we reveal a cow cut in half. And the farmer, you can tell he was really attached to his cows. He doesn't think any of this is funny. Yeah, well, I mean, the portraits of, if you have, you know, anyone who has any kind of animals living in their house as family members, you're going to be, you know, really attached to them. They have personalities yeah. and you love them. And so this guy is very much like, they have pictures of their cows in their house. You know, yeah. Like they love their cows. <laughs> well, I like how, like, Hellboy's, like, you know, just kind of sort of making fun of him. And the own little guy's, like, not having none of it. He's no, like, you, yeah. you think that's funny? Yeah. <laughs> He's very, but, he, you know, Hellboy's always very sarcastic and I don't want to be here kind of a thing. And the farmer says that he suspects those goddamn kids. He doesn't like their rock and or roll. <laughs> oh, God. And he says that he's chased them off his farm a few times. And Hellboy and the farmer come across the altar where the kids were 18 hours ago. And there's a book on the ground. It's the one that Buster Oakley was reading from. And it says, Witchcraft and Demonology, A Practical Guide for Witches, Warlocks, and Covens by Gustav Strobel. Veteran Mignolaverse readers will recognize that name. It will be a while before we get to that name on the podcast, but we will see that name again. Okay. I gotta say, I, I like these cans of beer laying around that just say beer, just beer. on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's it's some great. quality top shelf stuff there. Well, they're, they're, this is interesting too. They're the old school, the thing where when the tab pulls the entire oh, top yeah. of the beer off. Yeah. So I actually have some cans of beer like that in my yeah, fridge right now. It's a very old school, like Billy beer thing. Oh, man. 
I gotta admit, though, drinking a beer out of a can like that yeah. is way better than drinking out of that little hole. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a Converse uh, one star, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and the the poor farmer laments, "My poor goddamn cows." Aww. Inside the farmer's house, Hellboy has coffee with them. The guy looked at me funny for a second, then he turned into a skeleton. I tell you, I wish they were all that easy. And that's the previous yeah. story. Yeah, he's read. talking about the Whittier legacy and in the collected editions, they're back-to-back stories. And I love this scene of just Hellboy. He's just hanging out with them. Yeah. Um, drinking coffee with them, hanging out. The couple think they hear something and Hellboy heads out to investigate. You got a little shot of his feet with the spats here. Yeah, we do, yeah. Clothing feet here. Hellboy hears Buster Oakley's chant from earlier, and he sees cow ghosts in the pasture. Oh, little ghost cows. Ghost cows? There's something you don't see every, and Hellboy is spotlighted by a beam of light and disappears. Pretty cool to get a UFO in the mm. Yeah, the this universe. is very yeah un- unusual for the BPRD. I don't think we've ever had a... U- oh, wait. Well, we had the alien. The dead right. alien. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just but saying it's always nice to get that... Uh, the classic UFO. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I dig it. And um, the UFO takes off. Inside, Hellboy floats around amongst cows and pigs. There's also some alien flying drones. Well, and they're a- like robot space cows, maybe. Like, oh, what, yeah. What cows would be on another planet or something. Right. I don't and know. There's this weird, like, organ. Like, there's, like, an organ that they're all stuck to or something. Gross. Well, I was going to say, uh, like, a kind of a webbing fluid-like thing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the drones shoots this web at Hellboy. And Hellboy pulls it in and crushes it, calling it a horrible thing. And there's a lot of great action shots as Hellboy's fighting these, like, robot cows or whatever they are. He fights another and floats away. I hate this place. And he comes across an operating table and Buster Oakley's glasses and robe. And here we kind of get a better shot of that symbol. And yeah, I went back and compared it to the one that Rasputin wears. The one that Rasputin wears has the Project Ragnarok dragon on it yeah and then mm. the the um in the little on this page in, in in the little narration thing in it says here in every way i will be changed and then in that panel you also see to the far right there's kind of a cow person mm-hmm. with like boxers on and he's inside <laughs> this anyway yeah he's inside this pod yeah the chant from earlier though i wear the shape of a man i am a serpent a lion i shall pass through the fire and have no fear of it my flesh torn apart by broken bones, and every way I will be changed, but no harm will ever come to me, for thou art with me. Yeah, and like you were saying, there's a there's a better shot of all these sigils on the robe that he was wearing yeah. here. Yeah. Hellboy is suddenly surrounded by aliens with spears, and they start zapping him from all over, and they take him down. And they seem to have the upper hand for a little while until the alien with the probe appears. <laughs> He's got like this probe. <laughs> He starts worrying. He starts worrying it up, and uh, Hellboy's really, like, "Oh, I don't think so." It and really, t- <laughs> uh, yeah, relies on a lot of um, kind of uh, just the way that they're holding him down is just oh, so terrible, the, so so terrible. This this little scene re- really relies a lot on um, those silly stereotypes about whatever yeah. and all that stuff. I want to say I like how the design of the aliens also mimics the whole. Um, alien lore the grays uh, yeah the with the big eyes and everything that. yeah and it it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of jose chung's from outer space that episode of the x-files yeah of where it's just this very like stereotypical kind of plays off of that and 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 plays with those concepts and sort of yeah it's just really the traditional alien abduction story yeah well it's uh, it's it's just a very uh a lot of that gets boiled down to these very 
you know, silly stereotypes about like probing and all these jokes about yeah. pro- probes and stuff like that. But like, um, Hellboy thrashes around, smashing Buster Oakley's pod. Come on, pal, I could use some help out here. And then they fight. He's like, that's more like it. And they're, they're fighting these it's panels a, yeah. of the cow and Hellboy It's a very fight. superhero shot, right, Aubrey? Oh, like, very, it's very kind of so. a, You're talking about how this <laughs> art is very, and, this yeah. art lends yeah. itself very to the, the classic superhero comic book style. And as they fight, well, uh, a big alien robot is also deployed. And then they start fighting that as well. And a lot of these panels are just action. And we see outside that the UFO is just like crashing around all these different things. <laughs> I like the little sound effects that bam, bang, conk. Yeah, the little onomatopoeias are really out of control here. Uh, they're 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 wonderful. <laughs> and the UFO is also seen by various townspeople. They all kind of see it crashing around into things. Well, and you get some typical onomatopoeias like bam and crash and woo and. But then there's one down here that goes, thunch. T H U N C H. I didn't notice that. That's great. Thunch, and it's very yeah. This is just. It gets like a thud and a crunch. It gets it's yeah exactly. It's it's out of control. The aliens zap Hellboy. They kind of get Hellboy and the cow guy or Buster Oakley. They kind of back them into under the spotlight again. Stealing cows, making cow people. What the <laughs> hell's wrong with you guys? Hellboy says. And when they get him like right under that spotlight. The alien yells like this long order or whatever. He gives like a command, and I love how Hellboy's. He's like, I don't even know what that means. I uh, I have to admit, when I was reading this, I actually tried to read that out loud. It was like, Did you ever see? Did you ever see? Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks. Yeah, it really reminds me of that. That's funny. I didn't make that connection, but you're absolutely right. It does. It does mimic that. And now that you mentioned that, it, the aliens kind of have that sort of cross between the traditional greys and the Mars attack aliens. Yeah, they do. To them. Yeah. The beam of light comes on and it transports Hellboy and Buster Oakley back to Earth. And also one of these blue floating pigs. You see that? That also gets transported with them. Uh. Hey, that worked out okay. Yeah, sorry, kid. I don't know if there's anything anyone can do about that cow head. Aww. But listen, I know some guys, maybe, and then... Some, like, local people see them, and they say, there they are, and Buster Oakley in his cow form, he gets kind of scared, and he runs off. That was a very generous description. Some local people. (laughs) (laughs) Hellboy confronts the locals. I I figure they must have been tracking the UFO, or maybe they saw it, and they're like, oh, Hellboy, sorry. I like what they say. Hold it right there. None of your alien tricks, fella. You're in Nebraska now. (laughs) Yeah, and Hellboy realizes he's in Nebraska, so he's come quite yeah. away from Kansas. But they recognize him yeah. as, as Hellboy. Right. A lot of he seems to be semi-famous in a lot of these stories. Well, yeah. we we learned, remember that he was made an official human at the UN. Yeah. So I guess that was probably like a ceremony that was probably on TV, or no, even Tom Farrell in the Crooked Man says, "I saw you on the cover of Time magazine when oh, you were a baby," yeah. or something like that. So I think like it was God, probably a big yeah. deal. Thank you for that. That's a great. I, I would yeah. like to see more of that. Uh-huh. I would like to see more of like just the general public's view of Hellboy. Sure, because that would really tie yeah. it in well with the fact that everyone's like, "Ah, it's Hellboy," you know. Yeah. Then the little pig, the little flying pig. The little blue flying pig is there. Hellboy tries to call out to Buster until daybreak. Damn, he says, as he gives up at the end. Months later, we pull into a scene on an old barn, and another boy is doing the same thing that Buster did earlier with a bunch of kids around. Buster Oakley 
has a candle on his head and he just you know cries a little bit um and so they're so i wonder like are they are they trying to turn him back or are they trying to help him or are they just like doing the same shit that he did and yeah maybe they're trying to I don't know. I kind of got the feeling they're doing the same shit that he was. (laughs) Because he's saying kind of the same thing. You know, I know that I am favoring your eyes. Right. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So some trivia for Buster Oakley gets his wish. Mignola said that he's been a fan of Nolan, but hadn't, um, but he hadn't done much work since the 80s. And Mignola ran into him at a convention and almost immediately asked him, when are you going to draw comics again? Why don't you draw a Hellboy comic? (laughs) And Kevin, who was very, very polite, said, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) So that's Mignola's version of it. Nolan has a different version of of that. Uh, Mignola said he had a vague idea of Hellboy getting abducted. It's possible some of it was come up on the spot to make Nolan excited. (laughs) The plot is entirely made up of things I knew he could draw better than just about anyone. Pigs, cows, ghost cows, pigs glued to cows, (laughs) etc. So what Nolan says, and so this is, uh, Aubrey, you sent me a bunch of stuff from his blog and also this interview that he did on Newsarama, which I'll link because it was really good. But Nolan says that him and Mignola were talking after a convention and Mignola was telling him a version of this story and it was really funny. And Nolan describes Mignola as being like the funniest guy there. Like he just kind of tells these stories and gets everybody all excited. Nolan says they did it using the Marvel method. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, So Mignola just kind of pitched it to him. Nolan drew up all the panels, and then Mignola went back in and put the dialogue in. Interesting, interesting. And Nolan says that he exaggerated the cowness of the cows, and he also this I thought this was funny that he really enjoyed drawing the rural scenes, and the and him and Mignola were excited about the grain elevator. Yeah. So when the UFOs crashing around, one of the things that it crashes into. (laughs) Is a grain elevator, yeah. and apparently they were like really excited about that. Sure, <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny to think about the kind of things that they get excited to draw. Yeah, totally. I found on Kevin Nowlin's blog, he he had this little note about the Buster Oakley gets his wish, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a couple things he wanted. He said he wants to really think publicly thank Mike Mignola for caring enough to write a Hellboy story specifically for him. Aww. He says. I don't know what I did to get this gift from a guy like Mike, but I'm very grateful to him. He thought my lack of enthusiasm after he described the story was nonchalance. Now that it's all over, I can admit that I was just afraid I couldn't pull it off. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And then at the end, it basically says, um, because he talks about, like, you know, the coloring and um, all this kind of stuff. And he talked, at first, they were kind of worried that the daytime scenes were too bright. He went down and toned it up. But then it turned out because mostly in the night, it all worked out. Interesting. But, um, and then uh, you'll you'll link this to as well. Yeah, I'll link the Newsarama interview. It's really good. And- well, and then hold on. And then it was saying. And then he and he ends it with saying uh, he. Anyway, this was the most fun I've had in years. I'm really grateful for the response to it so far. Thanks to all of you who brought the book and Aww. took the time to email, call, tweet about it. You really made my day. That's so nice. Awesome. You know, a lot of artists are really very humble and very insecure and really like i don't know if i can do a good job oh i don't know i really hated the way i drew that but it's always stuff that's so well received and like yeah. oh it's great you did a great job and all this stuff so that's really interesting to to get all those behind the scenes stuff so yeah i'll i'll be interested to read that yeah. too that's i would like to read that and you said nowlin i don't know if it's nowlin or nolan oh. i keep saying nolan but anyway one yeah. one thing i thought was interesting too is he says he seems kind of interesting too because he's like talking about he penciled it inked it and colored it yeah. because 
he wanted to make sure that the pencils came across exactly as his pencils. And he says sometimes, a lot of times, um, it can get muddied through the inks lost in depending, translation depending on bit. the who the anchor is and yeah. then with the color he wanted to do it as well so i think he kind of had his well when you have a really, really specific had his own vision focus of for what it. the color and is going to be and i think he hadn't done comics in a while too uh, so he really wanted to like make it his thing throw which himself neat. into it interesting yeah all that behind the scenes stuff is always very interesting so that'll be a good read i'm excited another thing i thought interesting in that newsarama interview nolan says that he inked a clay face story for mignola huh. so i gotta go find that clay face story now i really want to want to read that that's pretty awesome <laughs> and um so one thing that was i was a little had a little issue with the omnibus is it always has the mignola version of the cover and this one didn't and i have to show it to you because it's so cool oh yeah i'd like to see that oh cool oh that is awesome and what's really neat about it is it's got like a it's a special variant cover and it's got like this silver dark horse 25 because it was oh, released as part cool. of the dark horse 25th anniversary but I love the version of Buster Oakley that Mignola draws. And so I'll probably post a picture of that online. I was disappointed it wasn't in the yeah, omnibus all version. all the sigils and stuff. It's great. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be wrapping up on Hellboy, you know, when we, where we are with Hellboy. If you think about currently, he's at the end of Into the Silent Sea. So he's on the boat. You know, they've said that he's sailing to England. And so when we pick up, We'll we'll pick up there when we come back. But for a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about BPRD. And so I thought it would be fun to look back on the stories that we've read so far. So I have a little kind of surprise for or a little exercise for you guys. Okay. Oh, Let's do it. <laughs> I actually have handouts. Oh. Okay. Oh, shit. So if you're looking at this handout, it shows all the stories that we've read so far. And I have them grouped into three categories. This is really cool. The first category is stories that are in, are one issue or less. So it was at at most it was one issue's worth of story. In the second category, it's a two issue story or prestige edition because some of the stories are these little like hardcover oh, yeah. prestige versions. Mm-hmm. And then the last category is three issues or more stories. And so I thought it would be fun. I'll give you guys a couple minutes to just on the spot without okay. having any preparation rank what your top three are oh, in no. each category. There's some little hash marks after some of the titles. Just ignore that for right now. We'll, we'll come back to that again. But I thought just to put you on the spot and just look at all the look at all the stories we've read. The yeah, short issue of... the short issue list is 30 stories. Oh wow! Yeah, so we've we've read we've gone through so much already on the podcast. But anyway, just uh, take a couple seconds and rank your top three in each category. I'm going to do it as well. Man, this is hard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So I reserve my, the right to change my mind. Yeah. Of course. Of course. This is just on the spot. You know, for me, it, it may change between on the day that you ask me. Okay. So. Uh, How many can I have? We're, we're reading our top three. The top three <laughs> top in each category. Three? Oh, no. Oh, in each category? Yes. It's funny. The, the, the two issues one is the one where I have the most. I know. One. Me too. Can I have a, a tie for number one? Sure, you can do that, that, although that's technically cheating. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you are technically cheating. The best kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I feel like we had the Jeopardy theme song playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think I'm good. This is fun. And then now for the now for the next part of this because we're not we're not done. 
So now look at the ones that have hash marks okay. next to them. Okay. Those are non-Mignola art. Uh-huh. So I just thought it'd be fun to kind of who's your who were your favorite uh, top three stories? Well, I guess in the two in the three issue or more, it's just the Crooked Man, so we don't have to do that one. Right. In the two issue, there's only three, so you just need to rank them. Which one is your first, second, and third? And then for the one issue or less, just look at the ones that have hash marks next to them and do your top three. Oh, so fa- uh, so we're doing favorite non-Mignola artists. Yeah, just for, for fun. Okay, yeah, sure. just for yeah. the... F- I-, I thought it'd be fun to just go, okay, well, out of the one that's... Because obviously most of us, I think, are going to have Mignola favorites, but... I'm, Am I doing a- number one artists on all these categories? Or, or number one story? I mean, am I doing what's my favorite story? or are there, is it- Just the top three. Okay. We're just going to list them. This is fun. This is a fun activity. (laughs) Okay. This is cool. This is creative. Uh, I like that you did this, John. All right. So let's let's talk about our results for a little bit. So we'll start with the three issues or more category. So, um, what did you put, Danielle, for three issues or more? What are your What are your top three? My top, starting with three, I think uh, probably conquer a worm, and then two would be wake the devil, and then one would be seat of destruction. Ah, nice for me. What do you think, Aubrey? Coming in at number three, we have <laughs> Conqueror Worm. Uh, number two, Seed of Destruction. Uh-huh. And, and number one, Wake the Devil. Nice. So you, you flipped uh, one and two from yeah. what I picked. Okay. Yeah, and I have them flipped also. Oh, wow. I have number three as Seed of Destruction, number two as Wake the Devil, and number one as Conqueror Worm. Oh, wow. Because oh. I just love Hellboy and Roger together. Sure, yeah. I love them together. I love Lobster Johnson. I love the reveal of right. the um, alien and all that stuff. I just like the whole idea of like and wake the devil with Hecate and um, yeah, yeah. that's sure. where we intru- that's where we're introduced to her and, and everything that she's got to say about really Hellboy's cool. destiny. Well, this is such a this category has so few things to it's hard to yeah. yeah so that's so what about our two issues or prestige category? What was your rankings there, Danielle? Number three. Oh, this is hard. This is hard. <laughs> this is hard to do. I don't. I don't know, even know if I can put them in order. I would put these all on on equal footing. Well, with you each have other. to because I'm don't god of this I'm not, podcast. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I kind of can't rank them. I'm going to kind of put them on equal footing here. If I if I can bend the rules a little bit, uh, cheater. Oh uh, yeah, the island for uh, sure. Okay. Um, the third wish and wolves of Saint August. Nice, nice, great. Yeah, what about my... you, Aubrey? I'm going to go with uh, wolves of Saint August at three. I got into the silence. C is two, and then I got tied for number one with the island in Midnight Circus. <laughs> ah, nice. Well, nice. the island is such a fucking yeah. Yeah. The island is so fucking like oh man, this is so good. It's so fucking yeah. good. Oh, it's, I totally agree. And then yeah, with the uh, Midnight Circus and the whole the dreamlike quality of yeah. uh, Gredo's art. Yeah, and also a little more into you know like um, Aseroth, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah so. Astaroth is in. Uh, yeah, he's he's prominently in the Midnight Circus. I like that some of your ra- some of your top ones were non Mignola. Right. Um, so this is going to be shocking. The island would just 
be number four for me, just what? narrowly beating out There's by the, so the third much wish. Incredible lore. I know There's it's hard so... to make it. It's hard to make a decision, but I I love the third wish a little uh, yeah. bit more than the island. The third wish is fantastic. And number two, I have box full of evil, just because mm. I really love that story. I don't know what it is about that one, but the first time I read it, it's always been a favorite of mine. I love Bromhead, well, the slimy Bromhead, and I love say, Hellboy oh, and Abe I together. Have, I actually yeah. put a little note next to <laughs> box full of evil here as my runner-up. Yeah, as my like honorable love, mention yeah. number. Four kind of a thing. I I I I had a little note next to that one too because I couldn't let that one go. I like that one too. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, if I had more time to really sit and think about it, I would probably you might come change. Up with, it. I would come sure. up with a different order for sure, probably. And I had Wolves of Saint August as number one just because Hellboy and Werewolves is yeah. is like peanut butter and chocolate. Well, and we have mm. such a we have such a connection to that story too. But yeah, like um, the island is probably one of my all time favorite Hellboy stories. Like right. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah, I'm regretting now putting it as number four, but I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if I could change. I don't know too. if I could change like, my ranking. Yeah. And then for uh, so then let's talk about this really quick. Non Mignola art for the two issue or prestige. So if you had to rank, we uh, for that category we had the Midnight Circus, Into the Silent Sea, and Macoma. If you had to rank those three, what would be your three, two, and one? Well, Danielle. Aubrey, Aubrey already uh, talked about it, but yeah, Midnight Circus is so good. I, I you know, that would was, be your number one. Absolutely, you know, Duncan Fergredo's art is amazing, yeah. and it's like, like Aubrey was saying before, the dreamlike quality of it. Yeah. And, and we're also we got some Asmodeus stuff, and so just I want to repeat uh, Aubrey's comments on that. That's my number one. Astaroth. Astaroth, excuse me. Yeah, yeah Astaroth. Um, and um, sorry, we just read that story about Asmodeus. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, two would probably have to be. Into the Silent Sea, mm-hmm. and then uh, I would have Macoma three probably. Right. What about you, Aubrey? Um, counting down from number three, <laughs> we have Macoma coming in at number two. Into the Silent Sea, and surprise at number one, yeah. Yeah. Midnight Circus. You already said that <laughs> you love the, the Midnight Circus. Yeah. We had the same order. You know, I would probably put Macoma as number two, with the Midnight Circus still being number one, um, just because I really love that story, and that was the first for me. That was the first non-Mignola that I ever saw, mm, okay. you know, because that's the way that they were published. So that one just has a special place in my heart. Now let's uh, go ahead. I was going to say, and these are all very close. Yeah, like, they're all like they're a fraction agonizing. of <laughs> it's like, which John, one do I want to put one? You should post this list for people to I, I, I do probably okay. am, yeah. Cool. I probably will do that. So that way everybody can take part and let us know what, yeah. what you think. And then maybe I could even calculate all the percentages and nerdy stuff like oh, that. Oh, you totally should. I'm so, just glad you didn't ask us on this last one to rate all of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so for the last category, we have a, a ton of stories for our one issue or less. So Danielle, um, what's your top three for the one issue or less okay it's kind of close but i'm gonna go with well the first one i marked the first one that stuck out to me was pancakes i really liked but <laughs> since there's so many stories i kind of ended up be, ha- i had to push that down to the runner-up right uh, category my my honorable mention category so for the the three i would say three would have to be Nature of the Beast, two would be Chapel nice. of Moloch. Ah, I really like that story. Yeah, you really did. That's a really good one. And uh, the number one would be uh, Baba Yaga for me. Oh, nice. Nice. Really interesting, interesting pick. Yeah, I, I really love like that. Baba Yaga. Come out, babies. Come out, babies. <laughs> what about you, Aubrey? Okay, so on this list, I was just like, oh, man, I could spend freaking forever <laughs> just thinking about this. So I just said, screw it. And. I said I put in, uh, and I reserve the right to change my sure, mind sure. at any time, including after I finish saying these. Uh, so at number three, I put pancakes. 
Nice, oh, yeah, I nice. love pancakes. Uh, number two, I put the Hydra and the Lion. Ah, that was a good one. Um, just like the way that Hydra gets his head. It's yeah, <laughs> neck that was a good one. Up. That's a good one. <laughs> and They're all good ones. And at number one, they that go down to the sea in ships. Nice. Because I get tongue-tied every time I say it. <laughs> no, that's not the reason, but I mean. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So on mine, I put my number three as the Chain Coffin. Oh, um, yeah. Just because oh, I like seeing yeah. Hellboy's dad. For one. number two, I picked the corpse just because I think that's a funny story. Oh, it is a funny story. And I, I like that's where that. we get introduced to all the fairy world. Oh, yeah. And then my number one was the troll witch. Just the because troll witch. The troll witch is, it's got a special place in my heart. Whenever I read that story, I'm, I always almost want to cry. And whenever I say I almost want to cry, that means I actually cry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you'll bring up some good. It, like you said, this is such a difficult. Everybody's thing got to everybody's do. got really good ones. Now I'm thinking of all the things that you picked, and I'm thinking of those stories, and like, yeah. So. Oh, yeah, same here. Like, I want to change all my list now <laughs> because I mean, both of you had really great ones. <laughs> so now let's talk about the non Mignola artists for the one issue or less. We had quite a few in this category. What did you put, Danielle? I had. Let me look here at my things. For number three, I had Bride of Hell. Nice. For number two, I had Abe Sapien vs. Science. And for number one, I had Being Human. Ah, good. Good work. What about you, Aubrey? Uh, For number three, I had uh, Bride of Hell. Um, For number two, I had Sullivan's Reward. Ah. Uh, That's the uh, the house one. Yeah. Okay, so I just love that house look. (laughs) That is just the craziest thing. That was creepy. And then for number one, I put um, Buster Oakley gets his uh, ah, gets his wish. Okay. I mean, you know, because I always love superheroes, but I mean, you know, it's just I don't know. I just it was really good. Yeah. yeah. I guess you had already put they that go down in the sea in ships as your number one and the other one, but that's also non Manila. So would that one beat Buster Oakley or? It would. It, it you know honestly I did exclude that one because ah because uh, you already picked it already yeah because yeah. like okay. you, you see I, I scratched it out it gives, I see. You, it, it gives you a chance to <laughs> yeah, have to, a different yeah. one in that category huh. good job yeah. so i had some along with both of y'all i had buster oakley gets his wish as my number three number two sullivan's reward um that's the house one and then my number one was they that go down in the sea in ships just because uh, i love how jason yeah. scott uh, jason sean alexander draws abe do we want to do an yeah. overall one two and three for like ev- everything Oh, oh man. No. Is that hard to do? I actually no, do not. That's actually why I broke them into categories because I was like it's kind of unfair to compare pancakes to conquer worm yeah. or something like that. So Pancakes is such a cute story. That's why and uh I, I loved uh I loved all of y'all's choices. That that's really good. And I just thought it'd be fun to kind of look back and see everything that we've read. Oh, I'm keeping this list. Yes. Good <laughs> I job. I think my if I had to pick three stories that were I would probably do Chapel of Mo- I would probably do Chapel of Moloch, Wolves of St. August, and the Island. Ah, nice. Of your overall top three. Yeah, and that, like, it would be like, it would go three, God, two, one. A, that would be hard. The way that we've been doing it. So my number one would probably, I don't know, I would, between I, the island and Wolves of St. August. What I would do Chapel is I would just Moloch take after that. I would just take my number ones from each category, the Troll Witch, okay. Wolves of St. August, and Conquer Worm. Man, I have no idea. You, because, I mean, it's really hard. Uh, like you said, I mean, just doing it like this is hard. But I mean, you know, I, I know like Wake the Devil would definitely have to be in that list because I just, I just really like that story with Hecate, and then mm, also, yeah. and that's the one yeah. where also Elsa goes into the Iron Maiden. Yeah, right? yeah. that one is just so so sad many memorable and moments. Tragic. Well, there are a lot and, of like, yeah. well, like you were saying, I reserve the right to mm-hmm. go back and flip flop. But these are, yeah, this is a cool little yeah. assignment that you. 
made up, John. Yeah, so follow us on social media. I'll be I'll figure out a way that I can ask everybody what what you think and you can uh, give us your top 3s. All right, great episode everybody. It's been awesome so far. I'm excited to start at BPRD next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Tell us your thoughts on The Bride of Hell, The Whittier Legacy, Buster Oakley Gets His Wish. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club and check out our friends at uh, maniolaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. On our next episode, we're going to be joining the BPRD and discussing Hollow Earth, Lobster Johnson Killer in My Skull, and Abe Sapien Drums of the Dead. So, pull out your back issues, trades, omnibuses, library editions, or digitals, and follow along with us next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, you're making the dead people nervous. (laughs) 